Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Acts chapter 20, Romans chapter 1, and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Acts chapter 20, we'll pick it up in verse 17. We're continuing our series on the gospel. This is the second part of a three-part the power of the gospel. Second part of a three-part. Now, last week I told you it was a two-part. I've stretched it to three. I can do that. I'm the senior pastor. And I want you to know that this one verse has so much power in it that we could probably dissect it for the rest of the year. So the three-part might become a four-part. And the four-part might become a... Very good. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to him, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Just another way to put, I preached the gospel. So Father, I pray now as we dig into your word, would you give us spiritual ears to hear and that Paul would become an example for us to follow. Last week, having seen how Moses responded to the call to deliver, I pray that now this week we would follow the example of the great Apostle Paul. Only great because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to us in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, that we're to look at Paul as an example of the life of faith. You remember, it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. You'll see it on the screen. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the Spirit of God speaking through the Apostle Paul that his life is to be an example. And during his time with the leaders of the church of Ephesus, so he's having a retreat with his leaders, he said to them, you No, you know from the first day until now. He's calling them to remember the example that he set for them so they could follow. What he chooses to do is detail his testimony. He begins to describe what he was known for, and he was known for, listen church, preaching the gospel. The way he puts it here is repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that he said, said that he did that was that he served the Lord in humility. Now let me describe what that means. That means if Christ is your Lord, then he is your master. And whatever he says to do as master, commander-in-chief, it's exactly what we do. That makes us servants. He's the master Say it with me. We are the Very important. I hope you said it with a yes and amen. Because serving the Lord in humility is doing what the Lord has asked us to do and doing it the way that he's asked us to do it. Even if there are many tears and trials, like the apostles said, no matter what we go through, Even though there's a plotting of the Jews and 
We recognize that the enemy always has a strategy against us. He always has a strategy to stop us. He always has a strategy to destroy the work of God. In fact, Jesus gave a parable that a sower goes out and he sows some wheat. And then all of a sudden, the enemy comes out while the servant slept and they sowed, and the enemy sowed weeds. Because there is going to be, wherever there is a work of God, there is going to be a work of the enemy. But you can rest assured, wherever there's a work of the enemy, there's a greater work of God. Amen? He says the plotting of the Jews. we got to recognize there's a strategy to stop us from moving forward. But Paul said, I kept back nothing, no matter what I was going through. I proclaimed to you the truth. I even taught you publicly from house to house. He was unashamed, unashamed to preach the gospel. The Bible says that he testified to the Jews and Gentiles. He didn't care who you were. He didn't care where you came from. He didn't care what you were going through. Everyone needed to hear the gospel. You dropped a penny if you were around Paul. He would use the sound to remind, give him a story to lead straight to the gospel. I'll never forget when I was in Iran and I was sitting at a, 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 a kind of a coffee shop and I began to tell a story and a woman walked up to me and she goes, I'm listening to your story and I'm listening to your laughter. We don't laugh in Iran. And if you've heard my laugh, it's overwhelming. I was in the grocery store at Vons the other day and I started laughing and a woman came around. I was on aisle like six. She was on aisle 10. She came to me and she goes, I knew my pastor was here. I heard it. All I had to do was just listen for the laugh. My laughter is like a beacon. So she's like, we don't laugh here. And story, she goes, what story are you telling? It sounds so hopeful. I'm telling a story about a man. He was a great man. His name was Jesus. Can you tell me that story? I'd love to tell you that story. (laughs) And there at a coffee shop in Iran, I'm telling the story of the Lord Jesus Christ in a coffee shop in Iran where you can't tell the gospel. Do you know where I held my pastor's conference in Tehran? In the steam room at the spa. We did. I took the pastors in the steam room at the spa and I taught the entire book of Ephesians. We were very sweaty by the end. We took some breaks. We came back in. Preaching the gospel. We should drop a penny and the gospel comes out of us. And of all that Paul had been through, you would think he'd want to take a break. You would think he wanted to take it easy. I mean, he'd been on three missionary journeys at this point. He'd been lowered in a basket as an introduction to Missions 101. He had been stoned. He had been beaten. He had ran for his life. You would think Paul would go, now towards the end of his 30 years of ministry, I need a break. But the Apostle Paul, look at Acts chapter 20, verse 2, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Listen to the Apostle Paul. I go bound. I'm compelled. I am forced. Forced to do what? Well, as a servant, (laughs) you don't have a choice. Of course you're bound. Of course you're compelled. Of course you're forced. Because if he's the master and he's given a direction, and we see Paul, he serves in humility. He does whatever the master tells him to do. And he does it the way that the master tells him to do it. He serves the Lord in humility. But he also serves by faith. Now I know when we read the Bible... I know we know the end of the story, so we think that Paul knew the end of the story. But when Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, I go bound in the Spirit, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, can I tell you, he has no idea of Acts 23. We do, 
But he had no idea because he's serving his master by faith. In fact, Paul thinks he's on his way to Rome. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 23. Would you take a look what he says? But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I'm going to come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be held to my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Paul thought, I'm on my way to Spain and I'm going to stop by Rome on my way to Spain. He tells them in Romans 15, I'm going to go to Jerusalem first and then I'm going to go to Spain. But on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop by you. Paul's got a plan. But he's willing to operate by faith. How many of us are willing to let our plans be disrupted by God because Paul is about to have a major disruption? It's called two years of being in jail in Jerusalem. He serves with courage. Would you take a look at Acts chapter 20? I'll pick it up there again in verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things Move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He serves with courage. He serves with humility. He serves with faith. He serves his master with courage. He will not be moved. Now, let me tell you what was happening. As Paul was ending his third missionary journey and he was on his way to Jerusalem, every church that he went to was telling him, don't go there. Don't go to Jerusalem. In the spirit, they were telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul said, no, I'm compelled by the spirit to to do this. He said, I'm not going to be moved, not even by your tears. I'm not going to be moved by how scary it is or how big the buildings are. I'm not going to be moved that the people say it's a closed country. I'm not going to be moved by the culture. I'm not going to be moved by the politics. I'm not going to be moved by the issues. I'm not going to be moved by the state of California. In fact, none of these things shall move me. I'm on my way to preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you what happened. Paul has found his life by losing it. He has found his life by losing it. And what I love about the great Apostle Paul, would you take a look with me? He says, saying that change and tribulates awaits me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. He served the gospel with humility. He served the gospel by faith. He served the gospel with courage. And he serves the gospel with joy. He was doing the master's will. He was doing it in the master's way. And by doing in the master's will and the master's way, it brought him great joy. Great joy. When I was a swimmer and my father had the opportunity to come to one of my events, he would be sitting in the stand and every time I would hit that pad to end my time, the first place I would look was my dad. And there was something wonderful about seeing my dad's face when I finished my race. And it gave me joy to see him have joy. There's nothing like a feeling of a child when they see their father in the stand and they just scored and their dad rips off their shirt, his shirt, and there's blue dye underneath his belly. And he's like, yeah, that's my son or that's my daughter. I mean, can you imagine? And here is the apostle Paul and he's knowing that he's putting a smile on his father's face and no matter what he went through, that smile gave him great joy. Paul didn't look at his circumstance. Paul looked at his master. He was able to write this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said this, therefore, we don't lose heart. Now let's make it, let, let's say Paul. Therefore, I ain't losing heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Look how he looked at life. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's eyes were on his master. And by looking at his master and knowing that he had joy, Paul had joy. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, even though our outward man is perishing, okay, if you're over 50 like me, this morning, all I did was get out of bed. That's all I did. And something happened to my back. I just rolled out of bed. My outward man is dying. But my inward man, oh, my grandmother used to give me so much hope. 99 years old, 99 years old, Bahamian woman. She had lost, she had dementia, and she had lost most of her memory by 90. So for nine years of her life, she didn't know anybody. And I would walk in and I would say, hey, Ma, that's what I called her. Hey, Ma, and she'd go, now, who are you? Bahamian woman. It's about this big. She says, who are you? I said, I'm your grandson. You're my grandson, eh? I said, yes, I'm your grandson. I'm Ira's child. Now, who's Ira? That's your son. I got a son? She says, well, how many children you got? And I said, well, I have nine. And she would say, Jisha Lava, you didn't know when to stop, hey? Now, Jisha Lava is a Bahamian term. It means Jesus loves you, but we just kind of slur it all together, okay? Jisha Lava, you didn't know when to stop, hey? And then she would go like this. Now, who are you? <laughs> My name is Chet. Where you come from? I'm your son's son. I got a son, eh? How many children you got? I got nine. Jeez, your lover, you didn't know when to stop, eh? <laughs> now, who are you? We did this for 45 minutes. But if I did this, it is well. She would go, with my soul. And then if I went, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If I said, for by grace, she would say, you have been saved through faith. And though her outward man was perishing, her inward man was being renewed day by day. Paul says, look to the master, not this, to find joy. Look to the master. And he did all of this to testify to the gospel of God. Now we know what happened. When he arrived in Jerusalem, well, he knew what would happen. And everything that he thought would happen, it happened to him. He got arrested in Jerusalem. And while he was addressing the mob that tried to get, uh, that was arresting him, They almost ripped him to shreds. The Roman centurion has to pull him out of the crowd because they were going to rip him to shreds for the sake of the gospel. Now, he had every opportunity. On his way, leaving in Acts chapter 22, he says to the centurion, could you give me just a moment? I got a crowd, and this is a great opportunity. Would you mind if I just speak to them for just a little bit? Paul. You have an opportunity to escape. Like, get out with the centurion now. Excuse me, Mr. Centurion. I got a huge crowd here. This is a great opportunity for the gospel. Just give me a minute. And he gives the gospel in power, enrages the Jews, that the Bible says they were going to rip him to shreds. How many of us would have been like, thank you, Roman soldier, get me out of here? Not the apostle Paul. He saw a crowd. What an opportunity. I'll never forget when I was serving in the Philippines, we had this guy, he was a gymnast, and he started... Uh, we were, I forget where we were. He was started flipping in the crowd, like he was doing these backflips. So the Filipinos that were there, they were like, huh, if the American do it, we can do it better. So they started doing backflips. And then they started breakdancing. And then we had a guy that was breakdancing, so they were breakdancing. And all of a sudden we had breakdancing and backflips and 300 people gathered around us. I walked right into that crowd. Now that you have gathered... Let me tell you why we're here. Jesus Christ 
died for your sins. And almost all 300 of those people gave their life to Jesus over breakdancing and backflips. Do you know the same God is operating in the United States of America? And how many of us are running away with the Roman soldier instead of using the opportunity? So when he arrives in Jerusalem, they're going to rip him to shreds. Flip over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, if you would look at verse 11, Paul thinks he's about to die. Acts chapter 23, verse 11, take a look at what happens. But the following night, after they were going to rip him to shreds, the following night, the Lord stood by and be of good cheer. In other words, don't worry, you're not going to die. Be of good cheer, Paul. Isn't that wonderful that God knows our name? Isn't that like you're not servant 101.329? Be a good cheer, Paul. For you've testified for me in Jerusalem, so you obeyed me. You gave the gospel in Jerusalem. So you must also bear witness at Rome. You're not going to die here, Paul. I'm sending you to Rome. You did the work that I asked you to do. You preached the gospel. You preached the gospel in Jerusalem, but now you've got to preach the gospel in Rome. Now, you know the amazing thing? God had already laid Rome on Paul's heart. It's amazing how God does that. If you're praying about something... Don't wonder if God is calling you to it. He's just starting the process to get you moving. God had already laid Rome on his heart. He wrote the Roman letter before Acts chapter 23. He had sent the Roman letter by a gal by the name of Phoebe. And Phoebe delivered that letter. And we know that from Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. And now, God was now going to use this arrest to get him ready to go to Rome for free. The government was going to pay to be evangelized. They were going to protect Paul with a Roman garrison, and they were going to sail all the way to Rome on Rome's dime so that Paul could preach the gospel in Rome. Amazing how the, the, the Lord works. Now, I'll never forget when the UN wanted to give us money. And I told you this. I was so concerned about taking money from the UN. My pastor told me, well, (laughs) let me tell you something. God will use money no matter where it comes from for the spreading of the gospel. And I said, well, are you sure no matter where it comes from? Well, just don't ask where it comes from. (laughs) No, the truth of the matter is the UN and the gift that they gave us to do the work in Liberia paid to plant now 33 Calvary chapels in Liberia. You see, the work of the gospel can be used in every situation, and the work of the gospel, friends, is what we are called to do. Paul has been set as our example. Paul's life revolved around preaching the gospel. Whether he was in Jerusalem, whether he was in Rome, or if L.A. existed at the time, whether it was here. He becomes our example. He was bound by the Spirit to preach. He walked by faith because God said to do it. He did it because he knew the outcome. You see, we know the outcome. God said to us, go and preach the gospel. And we read the Bible as if he knew, but he didn't know. The same way we don't know how it's going to turn out when we're obedient to God. We're just to be obedient. Paul found joy in it because he knew it made his master happy. And he was courageous. Let me tell you something. Paul was on his way to Rome. He needed courage. Let me tell you a little bit about Rome. The Roman Republic started about 509 BC, and I'm old fashioned, so for me it's still before Christ, not before Common Era. So 509 BC. It began to expand by conquest, but it was really just a network of towns and villages that were really ruled by the Roman Senate very lightly, 
But each town was governed by a Roman commander. Around the end of the 2nd century B.C., what is known to historians as the crisis of the Roman Republic. It was a series of conspiracies. The Senate had grown corrupt. There were conquests and there were civil wars. But then in around 44 B.C., there was a man by the name of Julius Caesar. He was the first dictator of the Roman Republic. And only a couple of years into his leadership, he was assassinated. And the rebellion, well, the rebellion was defeated by Mark Anthony and Mark Antony and a man by the name of Octavian at the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC. Now stay with me through this history for just a moment. You see, they chose Mark Antony and Cleopatra, you know that name, and Octavian, they chose to divide the Roman Republic. But that didn't last too long. In 31 BC, there was another battle. A battle between Octavian and Mark Antony and Cleopatra. It was called the Battle of Actium. And at this battle, Octavian won. And Octavian, he was declared at this point the first emperor of the Roman Empire. Now you know Octavian very well because he was given another name. Caesar Augustus the venerated one. And because he was the son of Julius Caesar, he was known in the Roman world as the son of God. It was in that Caesar that the true son of God would be born, Jesus Christ. Caesar Augustus, he initiated what was known as Pax Romana, peace in Rome. Now let me tell you what that meant. It was peace at all costs. There was a great benefit Social stability. Oh, there was economic prosperity for hundreds of years. But under the Pax Romana, if there was any uprising in any of the provinces, it was mercilessly and swiftly dealt with. Pax Romana was peace at all costs. Not the announcement of the angels to the shepherds, peace to men. No, this was peace through violence, not peace with God. He became known, as I said, as the Son of God, and there was a all of a sudden an Augustan temple that sprung up in one city. Well, we want to worship Augustus. And then there was another Augustan temple. Then there was another Augustan temple. And before you knew it, there were Augustan temples everywhere in the Roman world to worship Augustus because he was the Son of God. In fact, in order to work in the Roman world, Every year, you would have to go into the temple of Augustus and you would have to worship the Augustan idol in order to keep your job. The only people that were exempt from this were the Jews. And the Jews had to pay what was called a Jewish tax so that they did not have to worship the Augustan at the Augustan temple. Now, Rome, Rome didn't grow in a day, but it did grow tremendously. The problem is, is all that we see is the rubble today. And I want you to take a look at the screen, if you would. It was a magnificent city. When you go to Rome today, you will see the ruins. But I want you to see what the Colosseum would have looked like when you were walking the streets of Rome. Maybe you would go to Rome, and with this next slide, you would go to the Roman Forum. And here's what you see today, but look at what you would have seen walking into Rome of that day. Here, if you were down in the Roman road, you may have gone, and here's a next slide, uh, you would have seen the Circus Maximus. The Circus Maximus were where the horse races were, where gambling was first initiated in the Roman world. But look at the elegance, and look at how powerful the Roman world looked like when Paul would have gone to Rome. Take a look at this scene. This is the temple of Saturn. All you see is a bunch of rocks that are maybe thrown on the ground. But look at what you would have seen at the temple of Saturn to worship the Roman god Saturn. Or maybe you would not worship the temple of Saturn. You would go to the temple of Venus or Roma. And here's what you see today, but here's what you would have seen in the magnificence of the Colosseum and then the temples that surrounded it. Maybe you would go to Rome and 
You would go to the temple of Castor or Pollux, the temple of Caesar. All you see today are this, and it's hard to imagine what it would have looked like. But when Paul was going to Rome, this was a metropolis. Take a look at the marble pillars and the cobblestone streets. This was a metropolis. This was the capital of the Roman Empire. And I want you to see how large the Roman Empire was. Take a look at this slide as I show you now the Roman Empire at the time of Paul. Everything in purple around the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Great Britain to the north, down to Egypt to the south, was the Roman Empire stretching down the Tigris and the Euphrates River all the way into Armenia to the east. This was the entire Roman world. And one man... In Romans chapter 15, one man, the Apostle Paul, he said, I have gone from Jerusalem to Illicrium preaching the gospel. There was not a city he passed. He went from Roman, crossing the Mediterranean, crossing, the, uh, going back on the Mediterranean, going around on foot, around into Asia Minor. The Apostle Paul was serious about doing what God had called him to do. Now, I want you to take a look at this map for just a moment. Do you see the little dot on the bottom right hand that says Jerusalem? It's just a dot. Of the entire Roman Empire, look at the dot of Jerusalem in the vastness of the Roman world. But its geography was vital. It was a land bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa. But this little stretch of land was filled with a problematic people called the Jews. And the Jews were quite an eyesore to the Roman world. There was Judas of Galilee, and he revolted against Jewish taxation. There was Herod the Great, who was in constant need of resources to quell the constant Jewish rebellions. And then there was Pontius Pilate, who was eventually recalled by Tiberius because of the Jesus situation. Why would we worship him? I mean, great, let him have a Jewish God, but we want Apollos, and we want Zeus, and we want all the other gods as well. I mean, you can have your God. Why should we worship a God that we conquered? That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. They just thought it was dumb that you would want to worship one God when there's so many gods out there. I mean, you could worship whatever God you want. If you want to worship the transgender God, great. You can be a transgender. If you want to worship the money God, well, you can worship the God of mammon and you could have all the money that you want. If you want to worship the sex God, worship Venus. We got one for that. And all you have to do is go to her temple and you could become, you can have sex with all the temple prostitutes. I mean, if whatever God you want to serve, we got the God for you in the Roman world. What's up with this? There's only one way. Come on. This caused a problem. And then, didn't we crucify that Jesus? Like he's dead, right? I mean, we saw him die. He was just another problem in the Palestinian territory. So we dealt with the whole Jesus problem. You want us to do what? With the opulence and the power and the prestige of Rome... How could a Jewish carpenter come into our Roman capital, a little Jewish carpenter from Galilee, and say that he can save more than the other gods when he died on a cross? It's foolishness. And then we got the Apostle Paul. Another whole problem. Another Jew appealing to Caesar with another problem amongst the Jews. That's what Paul did. He'd been in a Jewish jail there in Caesarea for two years. So he finally makes a plea to Rome because he's a Roman citizen and he's a Jew that wants to make an appeal to Caesar because he knows that God has called him to Rome. So he appeals to Caesar. And his disciple, 
Onesiphorus describes the Apostle Paul like this. Take a look. Paul was a small, a man of small stature, with a bald head, crooked legs, in good state of body, so that means he was a little plumpish, with eyebrows meeting, so he had a unibrow, <laughs> nose somewhat hooked, but full of friendliness. And that's how you describe someone that's not like, oh, she's so friendly, or he's such a friendly guy, right? For, you got such a great smile, you know? For now he appeared like a man, and how he had the face of an angel. Sorry. You got a little guy. Who's bow-legged? With a hook nose. Bald. Coming into Rome. Now I want you to think about the Roman centurion. You like that? Listen, I'm your pastor. <laughs> now, I want you to think about the Roman centurion, the specimen of humanity. I mean, bulging biceps. Okay? Little skirt, mini skirt on. All right? I mean, like, football legs. Okay? Uh, neck like this, chest out to here, holding his shield, and he's walking in like this, and here comes Paul. Here I am. <laughs> Now imagine Paul comes walking in. Stop for a moment and keep the visual. It was this Paul who was small of stature. But let me tell you about this Paul. He was mighty in spirit because God said, go witness for me in Rome. Paul didn't look at his stature. He didn't look at who he was. He didn't compare himself to the Roman soldier. In fact, when he was chained to the Roman soldier, he had a spiritual idea. Oh my goodness, we are at war. We need the shield of faith. We need the sword of the spirit. We need the belt of truth. We need the helmet of right. I mean, he just looked and saw something spiritual. He didn't compare himself and say, oh, look at me. I'm just this little Jew from, Jer- from Jerusalem. And what am I going to do in this big Roman empire? Did you see the buildings? Do you know what it was for the Apostle Paul to march into Rome? Please don't make this a Sunday school story. Let me tell you why. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. There are three things that I want you to write down because this is why. Though he was small in stature, he was mighty in spirit. The first of three, he was defined by the gospel. He was defined by it. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. This word separated is the word defined. Paul is saying, my whole life is summed up in one message. Go and preach the gospel. And because he's the master and I'm the servant, that's who I am. I am defined by the gospel. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And with Christ as my master and having been given the direction... Preach the gospel. Now, I don't know if yours is preach the gospel in Gardena. I don't know if yours is preach the gospel in Torrance. I don't know if yours is preach the gospel in San Pedro. Paul's was preach the gospel in Rome. But we all have the same direction. The city just might be different. And he was given a gift to be an apostle. This word means he was a sent one. And he was sent to preach the gospel. Look at verse 2 which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and now he gives the gospel. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to flesh. In other words, he was a man. He was a 100% man. That way he was able to pay the price of our sin. 
And he declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, to, uh, by the resurrection from the dead. So not only was he man, but he was 100% God, and he proved it by rising from the grave. He just gave the entire gospel. Through him, we've received grace. If there's anyone that received grace to give grace, it was the Apostle Paul. So I was not surprised when we held our first gang ministry meeting that it was gang members, former, that showed up. Because the best minister to the gang is going to be the former gang member. The best minister to the drug addict is the one that has come off of drugs. The best minister to the alcoholic is the one that has been set free from Christ, by Christ. You see, the truth of the matter is Paul was a murderer. Paul was the chief of sinners. He had received grace. And someone who's received grace wants to do everything they can to give grace to others. He's received grace, the Bible says. Through him we receive grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. In other words, to everybody among those of you who are also called of Jesus Christ. To, who, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Look at these two words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because unless God gave his grace through his son Jesus Christ, we would not know peace with God. Grace and peace to you. Paul was defined by the gospel. Everything he did was the gospel. The reason he lived was for the gospel. The reason he worked was for the gospel. The reason he had his job making tents was for the gospel. The reason he worked with his hands for leather was for the gospel. And he found someone that he could make tents with called Priscilla and Aquila. And he led them to the Lord and discipled them. And they started a church in their home. Everything he did was, say it with me, for the gospel. Number two, write it down. He was devoted to the gospel. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Listen to what the apostle Paul said. Maybe you'll underline this. I serve with my spirit. Do you remember high school? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. We got more. We got more. Well, let me tell you something. Paul always won the competition when it came to sharing the gospel. He was in the crowd. I got spirit. Yes, I do. I got spirit. How about you? I got more. Because if you're going there, I'm going here. And if you're going there, I'm going two more places. He was devoted to the gospel. He said, with my spirit, everything within me, I'm going to give the gospel. He made it his whole life. Now, before you think it's all that Paul did, you need to be reminded of something. He had a job. He was a 40-hour worker. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure. We labor. I go to work every day. And I work with my own hands. Take a look at this next verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what's our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at, sorry, 2 Thessalonians. I'll read it for you. Actually, I'll just tell you. It's 2 Thessalonians. Sorry, I put the wrong one up there. Paul said, I labored. I worked with my hands. A church. Paul had a job. He just used the job to make the gospel known. Amen. He went to work for the gospel. That's why he went to work. It wasn't for some personal fulfillment. It wasn't for his own fulfillment. He found his fulfillment in using his job for the sake of the gospel. Isn't it God that gave you the mind and the skill and the talent anyway? And didn't he say that he gave a talent to us? And when he returns, he expects us to produce five, double, five times more or ten times more than what he gave us? 
And isn't that a reference to the gospel and how we are using our life at our workplace and how we're using our talents? Take a look at verse 10. Verse 10. Making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he goes, look, I want to hang out with you, and I want us to bless each other. Hey, Paul, you're so great. No, you're so great. Like they just, he wanted to get together and just love on the church. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. But I was hindered until now. In other words, um, Paul's about to be in jail after this letter for two more years. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as also among the Gentiles. Look what he says here in verse 14. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Paul was so devoted to the gospel, he communicates and he says, I got a debt to pay. Anyone who doesn't know the gospel, I owe you and I should tell you. Anyone who doesn't know, I have a debt. I feel that you, you, I am obliged. I am mandatory to tell you because I've got a debt to pay. I have a debt. That was his devotion. Take a look at verse 15. He says this, I am ready. Have you ever had that moment where you know it's time to share the gospel? And all of a sudden, you can't even remember the name of Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment where it's like all of a sudden, you forget Christ died, was buried, and rose again. But you really didn't forget. You were just scared to put it out there. Maybe they won't like me. Maybe I'll lose my job. Well, I don't want them to think I'm some, like, Jesus freak. I mean, <laughs> I'll bring them to church. Pastor Chet, you do it. <laughs> I've been there. I know that feeling. And I've learned in that moment, I'm indebted to that person. I am obligated to tell them. And I will ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel as to what we're called to. This word eager, I know none of you have been to the horse races. But if you had gone when the horse is behind the gate, sorry. Glad you weren't there, Lisa. They can't wait for that gate to open. They're hot. They have fed them and they have bred them and they have done everything to stir up that horse. And when that gate goes up, they started running 10 seconds before the gate moved. That's the word eager. Who needs the gospel? You come out of the chute. I am. <laughs> when things aren't in my notes, they don't go as well as they thirdly write it down. Paul was daring for the gospel. Take a look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, the gospel came through the Jews. This has been fulfilled. And what he's saying, it's for the whole world. Can you think of this man for just a moment? Think of the stature of this man walking into the capital of the Roman Empire. It's like the Hunger Games on steroids. 
think of this man, this Jewish little man, from this little Jewish little dot. The Roman world couldn't wait to throw another man like Paul into the gladiator's arena. And he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm coming to the Roman capital. That's the Apostle Paul. He wanted the Romans, the wicked Romans, to be sure to know that he was not hindered because he was afraid of the Roman capital. I'm not afraid of L.A., he says. I need you to know I'm not ashamed to be there. And this is Jesus' language. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. He said this, For whoever is ashamed, the first church used Jesus' language, and they were saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm using Jesus' language. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of the gospel. He would not be intimidated by the magnificence of the Roman world or the skyscrapers of L.A. He was compelled by his master. And while Rome thought it was the power of the Son of God on earth, Augustus, Paul knew the true Son of God that could give peace with God. He was not ashamed because the gospel is power. It didn't matter what Rome was. It didn't matter what people thought of him or how they looked at him. It didn't matter his stature. It didn't matter his tiny Jewish heritage. He looked at the powerful city of Rome as an ant compared to the power of the Lion of Judah. This was the Apostle Paul. He wasn't intimidated by the culture. He wasn't intimidated by the issues. He wasn't intimidated by the politics. He wasn't intimidated by the cultural pressure. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. He wasn't moved by trials of losing his job or finding a new place to live. He was not moved, but he found joy in fulfilling the task. When Paul walked into Rome, he did not see a mountain. He saw an earthquake, and the mountain was moving. Truly. When Paul wrote the Romans that they were more than conquerors, you see, a conqueror has to see the victory, but someone who is more than a conqueror knows they live in victory even if they've lost a battle. You see, by faith, he already lived in the victory because he trusted in the power of the gospel. I would only be in this city about six years later that the Apostle Paul would be executed for his faith. And at the time that the Paul was executed, the church was only a small group of house churches. We know that from Romans 16. And I wonder, did Paul... When he was walking towards his execution, church history says he was beheaded... Did he walk with doubt? Did he walk with dismay? Was he disappointed that there in the Roman capital? I thought I saw the mountain moved. Did he lose faith in the power of the gospel? Well, I'll put it in Paul's own words. Turn with me to 2 Timothy where we close. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm about to die, guys. It's going to happen. The executioner is going to knock on my chain one day, and I'm going down that road. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. (laughs) He makes it like a train station. I'm going to hop on the train. I'll be in heaven in just a few. Time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Finally. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who've loved his appearing. As a servant, Paul says at the end of his life, I was faithful to do what the master asked me to do. I went to Rome. 
I'm defined by the gospel, Paul says. I'm devoted to the gospel. I'm daring for the gospel. I have fought the good fight of faith. I did what my master asked me to do. Oh, Paul, I wonder, did you see that your seed of faith in Rome would grow to a mighty tree? For less than 300 years after your execution, the same government that took your head would announce the Edict of Milan because Christianity had taken over the Roman Empire and Constantine had no other choice than to make Christianity legal in the empire of Rome. Paul, did you see it? Did you see it? Oh, the power of the gospel. Church, like Paul, he's given us a city. As you have witnessed for me in the Bahamas, now you will witness of me in L.A. As you have witnessed of me in Liberia, you will witness of me in L.A. As you've witnessed of me in Kentucky, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, as you witnessed of me in the Philippines, in Europe, or Africa, you will witness of me now in L.A. Church, with the eyes of faith like the Apostle Paul, See the mountain already moved. Let's pray. Father, the power of the gospel. The church has been weakened, Lord, and we ask you for forgiveness. The church has been weakened believing the lie. What can one person do? And we take a look at this man, the Apostle Paul. And I pray that we would have the testimony of faith that you gave him. I fought the good fight. And while I was in L.A., I did what you asked me to do. So whether I'm in school, at work, whether I'm in the grocery store, you've given me a mission field. just like the Changs on their way to Thailand or the Arevalos on their way to the Philippines. They have witnessed in L.A. and being found faithful, you've called them to witness there. Let us be found faithful, Lord. Let your gospel ring out of our mouths. In Jesus' name. Paul was indebted. He was indebted. At our staff meeting, one of our staff members shared a story after last Thursday night. She was compelled to share the gospel. Her and her husband knocked on the neighbor's door. You got to let us in. Who's that? Flake. Well, it's your neighbor's. We have something to tell you. Neighbor opened the door after a, a near cardiac arrest. They walked into the house. And they sat down with them. And as awkward as it was, as as wonderful it was, and they shared the gospel because they were compelled and they did it that night. You should have heard the joy Because everyone celebrates when someone comes to Christ. Everyone celebrates. We clap. You see the joy in them as they were telling the story. Let it be your story this week. Let it be mine. The power of the gospel. Don't look at those skyscrapers of L.A. See them already moved. Don't look at our politics. Don't look at our issues. Don't look at all of the things that say you can't give the gospel. Don't look at the public schools and don't look at what they say. 
Give the gospel. Don't believe the lie. And see the joy on your master's face. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.